Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Phenomenal story and I just love doing life and community together. And uh, if you are looking for a church, we'd love to say this is a good community to belong to. We are biased, but we think it's the best. But it's really, really cool to see you all. Uh, speaking of community, we just want to point out and boast about my friends, Edward and Salumi. Got uh, Salumi. There we go. They got, uh, they got engaged on Friday, which is amazing. Can you believe it? Yep. Very, very exciting. And uh, just, Salumi, just, just to let you know, Ed uh, this morning said to the whole church, said, and everyone's invited to the wedding. Just such amazing, generous, generous spirit. We really are so grateful. But well done, guys. All jokes aside, we're incredibly proud of you guys and so excited. And wow, can you believe it? He dropped the knee, eh? Wow. Even more exciting. She said, yes, can you believe it? But uh, those are exciting things. But also some, some other things that are going on. Where's, where's Britt? Very quick wave. We, we, we are saying goodbye to Britt temporarily. Uh, this is her last Sunday. She's off to the summer camps in America to go and work there and, um, and just uh, experience Rhode Island. So if you are in the neighborhood, go give her a visit. But exciting. She's going there for three, four months. Am I right? And, uh, and we'd love to, afterwards, if you know Britt, we'd love to pray for her and just uh, send her out with blessings. So afterwards, she's going to be up front here, and we're going to gather a whole bunch of people. So if you're free and you know her, come join us. We'd love to pray for her because we love celebrating and we love uh, commissioning people out on the journey that God's got for them. But we know this is not goodbye forever because you're deep inside of this church. We love you hugely, Britt. I'm very proud of you. It's very, very cool. But it's good to be together. My name, how rude of me, is Gabe Phillips. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Changes. Um, also, just really great to see you, Guy. Very good to see you. We've been praying for Guy and his family this week, and it's so exciting to hear God's doing amazing things in your family and with your little girlie's health, and we really, it's so good to see you. Really, really cool. But um, I apologize, my train of thought. Uh, Gabe, I'm married to Fiona. I'm the dad of Olivia, and it's a privilege to be with you this evening. Let's read some scripture. I think they'll settle me. Acts chapter 2. Why don't you stand to your feet this evening, if that's all right? Acts chapter 2 is the profound scripture that we're in in the series, and we're going to read it. It's from verse 38 through to 47. It says this, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father, this evening, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence here. And now I thank you for faith to rise in our hearts to respond to your word, to respond to your presence so that we are not the same when we leave. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? It's really good to be in church together this evening. To introduce myself a little bit better so that we feel like we're on common ground, um, I grew up in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a decade called the 90s. 
It was a glorious decade. And uh, this decade was marked profoundly for the Phillips family, my home, because my mom and dad found Christ. And, uh, and this was the time when they found Christ, they were the sort of people when they found Christ, oh, they found Christ. They were boots in all, they, were, they sold out for Jesus. They, whatever they saw in the Bible, they thought, yeah, we're gonna do. So our family was this robust, wild group of people and uh, weeknights became nights for the gospel. It was, it was like a train station at home. Monday nights, my parents had a home group. On a Thursday night, they had a second home group. They just made sure that the first home group didn't know about the second home group. And it was just like, no, but they, they were just like, we want lots of people in our lives. And they, they, had, they had, on Tuesday nights, we had, uh, they had pre-marriage counseling. On a Wednesday night, they did other counseling, family counseling with people. They just wanted people in the home. They wanted to help people. They wanted to invest their lives in people. And they wanted those people to do life with them. This was our journey. We got home from school every day, and we knew something was on in the night. So we would bath, we would get in pajamas, and we would wait for people to arrive. That was our home. So in the 90s, there was, SABC3 had the, the 7 at 7. I don't know if anyone remembers these shows. Every night at 7 o'clock, there was an incredible TV show, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Can I get an amen? Hey? MTN Gladiators. Come on. JAG. 18 Wheels of Justice. Police Academy. Oh, these are the good shows. So, so who remembers those? Well, I don't because I was doing community. So don't be, anyway, just the, it's a bait and switch right there. But let me tell you, the amazing thing is I saw life, I saw the, the, the power of God at work in community so much so that when I moved to Cape Town as a young 21-year-old, I was like, I want to do this thing of community. So much so that I moved into a home with a good friend of mine, Jake Hearn, and a whole bunch of a motley crew of other people. And uh, we moved into a home, we were going to do community together. First member of the band was Jake Hearn, this incredible man with an incredible testimony, story of God's goodness in his life, and the skill of DIY. We added to this troop was a man named John Schutz, who was an academic and uh, had a passion for social justice. Then along came a man named Nathan Alunga, a Congolese man who loved, who had a story of faith and loved leadership and business and merging the two worlds, and he read a lot of John Maxwell books. Then we had a man named Jean-Claude Kieser who was from Rwanda, was, uh, uh, was a man who had who's, who's been uh, orphaned because of the Rwandan genocide. And he came into our lives with this incredible story of forgiveness and God's radical, radical grace. And, and, and it was almost like as we got together, we were forming the Christian version of the Avengers, which was power, just power. You know, community was going to happen. We were going to do this thing, the gospel at A. Highcliffe Crescent. Come on, it was going to be powerful. This was all well and good until the night I came home after eating a pizza out community, you know, beautiful. I got home, took my one last slice of pizza that I'd saved. I was looking forward to, already made plans for the next morning, and I put it in the fridge. You know, if you live communally, you put it in your corner of the fridge, my leftover slice of pizza. Went to bed that night dreaming, saying, saying my alarm, saying, Jesus, I'll get up early. I'm going to spend time with you in this holy atmosphere. I'm going to dig into the daily bread of your word and help myself to some daily pizza while we're at it. And I remember waking up the next morning. It was just, I was just, it was just beautiful, the community, the Spirit of God was there. I went to the fridge, opened the fridge, and dun, 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 dun. The pizza was gone. The pizza was gone. I tell you, in that moment, community was a lot less kumbaya and a whole lot more community sucks in that moment. Another moment, uh, before, days before the drought. If anyone remembers those days, the good old days, eh? before the drought when you could have run big, big deep baths. I remember those days I used to come home, and I'm a, I'm a man of taste, so I used to get... Radox from the shops, and I'd run myself a bath, and I'd put 
get the temperature just right, perfect. The levels of bubbles to water quotient, just perfect. And, uh, and as I was on my way back to get the towel one evening, as I was so excited for this moment just of just sinking into God's presence and His bath, you know. As I was coming back, as I turned around, I saw a flash go past me. And Jean-Claude Kisa ducked into the bathroom, locked the door, and jumped into my bath. This is when community gets real, people. I want to tell you this evening, community is hard. Community is messy. Community is tough. It's not romantic in any sense of the word, but it is beautiful. And actually for us, our whole thesis of this series is we believe it's the only way to truly follow Christ. Community, doing it together, doing life together. So much so that we read in Acts 2, as we read earlier, as we stood and read, read together, the backstory of that, the setting, is that this man Peter, whom Jesus once called, is now standing and he's preaching the sermon on, after, on the day of Pentecost. He preaches a sermon of power, of might, and 3,000 people respond to the gospel. This is a day of incredible celebration of the church. 3,000 people respond to the words he preaches. And the amazing thing, though, you could close the Bible on that and go, 3,000 people responded to the sermon. Praise God. Amazing quiet time. Let's move on. But the scripture doesn't end there. The scripture has 3,000 salvations, life of Jesus raising dead people to life spiritually. And the very next thing, the next verse says, and they devote to themselves, as Acts 2, 42 to 47 goes on, to living life in community. The very next thing, without taking a breath, without skipping a beat, they form a community of generosity, of radical vulnerability, of kindness, of dying to themselves, of selling property and giving their money away to the poor. This was a community of faith and action. And, and we are saying that, that actually this is what we are so excited about in the series, that we, we're seeing God bring salvation, we see a community form, but in between all of that happening with three powerful words, they devoted themselves. And what we're trying to drive in this series is for you and I to pick up this grand call of truly following Jesus means that we'll truly be knit into community. So much so, this is my phrase I love just to put in, in, in action here. It says this, you can't be truly devoted to Jesus and not be devoted to his community. Let, let me put that in the positive, that if you want to be truly devoted to Jesus, you have to be devoted to his community. The whole narrative of scripture and Christian history does not give us a different path. So this evening, I want to take us on a bit of a journey. There's a man named Peter. Peter's uh, the center point of that Acts 2. He preached the sermon, and, and somehow through his preaching and his leadership there, a community gather around, the power of God gets released into the early church. I want to take us back of Peter, all the way back to the journey of his life, and very quickly take us through the, the synopsis of his life, the ups and downs of his journey. This man, Peter, is a young man. We first meet him in Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, he's, he's there tending, he's fixing nets, he's, ma he's fixing boats, he's working on that, getting ready for, to go out. He's a fisherman by trade, learned his dad's trade. He hasn't quite cut it in the, the order of the day, the schooling system of the day, so he has gone and defaulted doing what his dad does. And it's on this posture that he has his first encounter with this rabbi named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this rabbi walks past, stops at Peter's boat, looks Peter in the eye and says these words that have, that are of such courage and of desire and excitement and devotion. He says, Peter, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And this, this call of Christ to follow him and walk with Jesus, that this qualifying call for you here last week was to stir us to was more than just a, hey, come and have a new hobby, but come and follow me with, with devotion and to have your whole life surrounded by me, around about me. Peter picks up that call and starts to pursue Jesus and walk with Jesus. 
And this amazing high, as the, I can imagine, the family is so thrilled that a, a rabbi has come and they've, he selected their son, Peter. He selected our boy, Peter, to go and follow him. This rabbi has faith that he can become like him. He's taking him on a whole new journey. The family is so thrilled. Peter's thrilled. Put shoulders back. I can imagine that day putting Instagram selfies with Jesus. Got to let the people know. Jesus just called me up to the big, big, big leagues, you know. And Peter's like, this is good. Here we go. And Peter's journey goes, and, and as we follow in his narrative and scripture, we see Peter pop up again in a dramatic scene that you may be familiar with, where he's back on a fishing boat, and this man Jesus said, I'm going to catch up with you guys later. They've seen some miracles take place, and, and Peter's had front row seats to all of us and loving it, going, this is the best life ever. And Jesus sends him out on, a, on, a, on, a, on the boats, and he said, I'll catch you up. And as these fishermen are going out for a, a sail, the waves start to pick up. The rain starts to pelt. And a massive storm, a massive storm that will terrify a fisherman. If a fisherman's going to be terrified of a storm, it has to be a big storm. A massive storm picks up that has Peter rocking, has the rest of the disciples clinging on for their lives, terrified that they might die. And out of the storm comes this man named Jesus to the waves, just walking on the water. Just, it is like David Blaine, eat your heart out. It's just like this, what? How does this happen? And the guys are so terrified. They're like, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. But Peter, our man Peter, our boy Peter, he looks through and he goes, no, 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 it's not a ghost, that's Jesus. It's Jesus on the water. We knew it, the water and wine thing was just warming up. This is epic. Jesus. And he says, Lord, if it's you, call me and I'll come to you. Call me, I know your voice. You called me on the beach, I'll come to you on the water. Peter, man of courage. And we see Peter, Jesus says, Peter, come. So, so Peter says, I know those words, I know those words. So Peter steps out the boat and starts to walk on the water. This is epic. This is epic. And as he's going closer and closer to Jesus, you, you might be aware of the story. All of a sudden, it says he caught sight of the wind and the waves, and he started to sink. And, and it's a story where I, I, if I'm Jesus in this moment, I'm going, Peter, you did five steps. That's amazing, buddy. That's epic. That is epic what you did there. But Jesus says something that's quite controversial and quite hardcore. Jesus says, Peter, why so little faith? Why so little faith? And he picks Peter up and he walks him back, puts him in the boat. And Peter's journey goes on. I can imagine Peter sitting there going, that was an interesting day. I walked on water and I got rebuked by the, the, the guy who, who calms the wind and the wave. This is interesting, trying to work the story up. You know, Peter, with his highs and his lows, and his journey continues with, in Matthew 16, this amazing moment as Peter's there and Jesus is doing some teaching. And Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, no, no one? I've got this one. I've got this one. I know this one. I know this one. He says, Jesus, some say you're Elijah. Some say you, 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 you're John the Baptist. And Jesus says, yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter goes, I say you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter, and this is a powerful moment. He says, Peter, this was not revealed to you by, by man. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And it's like, and he says, Peter, I'm going to rename you. I'm going to call you Cephas, Rock. And, and I imagine the rest of the guys saying, Flip, I should have said something. He, he's got a cool nickname. Uh, or, or, and they're like, the rock, I, I don't understand. And he's like, I'm going to call you Cephas, the rock. And on this revelation of Christ, and I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Peter's like, hey, this is pretty cool, eh? Yeah, yeah, I did well, I did well. And he gets back in the crew, high-fiving the guys, going, you can call me Dwayne Johnson, the rock. That's not in the text, but stick with me. But as this journey goes, the incredible thing, Peter, come follow me, starts to sink in the water. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my father, Peter. Peter, guys, one little stanza over. If you keep reading the text, keep reading in Matthew 16. Peter's now on a roll. 
And Jesus says, guys, I'm headed to Jerusalem to die. And Peter goes, I did well the last time. Back yourself, Peter. Back yourself. He says, Jesus, never. We will never let you die. We'll stand with you. We'll fight you then. You will not have to die. We're with you. And Jesus says this thing. He says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. You can imagine the guys going, yo, Peter, burn. It's like, as I read this interaction of Peter, up, down, up, down, his journey, he just was called the rock. Now he's Satan. This is a tough day for our man Peter. Peter starts to walk on, and, and it's this powerful thing as his journey, and you think, Peter, maybe you can't get any lower. He's following Jesus. He's the guy who's cutting off ears of, of soldiers in the, in the garden, defending Jesus, saying, I'll, I'll stay awake with you, falling asleep several times. Gets to the part where he says, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And we know the narrative. Peter, before the cock crows, denies him once, twice, three times. Jesus looks at him. Doesn't have to say anything this time. And Peter starts to weep and walks away. The next time we see Peter is he's on a beach and Jesus has risen from the dead. And Jesus is now coming to Peter and says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. He says again, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter's a little bit gun shy now. He doesn't want to say the wrong thing. But I, I do love you. He's a bit awkward, a bit nervous. Last time we met, I was denying you. But now you thought you were going to give me a clap. But it seems like it's going differently. Jesus, third time, says, do you truly love me? He says, yes. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. It's just this narrative. As, now, as many times he denied Christ, Christ comes and now restores him. This the amazing ups and downs of Peter. This good day, tough day, good day, tough day. As he keeps walking, the next time we turn over in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see Peter now in this incredible moment as the Holy Spirit comes, is poured out, empowers people. And people start to gather. And I can imagine Peter looking around going, hey, somebody should say something here. This is an opportunity for the gospel. Somebody should say something. Someone should preach. Somebody should, hey, who's going to preach? Who's on the run sheet? No one. I, don't, I get in trouble when I talk, guys. I get in trouble. No, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. Peter says, Peter stood up amongst the 11. And he preaches the sermon that we, that if you go back and you're just before what we read tonight, go read the sermon. It says it cut them to the hearts. This is preaching at its finest. It cut them to their hearts. So much so that 3,000 people respond and the church is born. Peter. Get behind me, Satan. The same guy. And it's these incredible moments. And if you flick on the story, then comes to Acts chapter 10. Peter, now, he's, he's now been almost the unofficial head of the church, the early church. Just, it just happened. Peter, I suppose it's up to you. It's fallen to you to lead us in this early days. Peter, our boy Pete. And it gets this moment where in Acts 10, he's, he's, just, he's, he's having a nap, basically. He gets his, and he gets taken into a trance on a rooftop. And it says that he starts to see, as a good Jewish boy, he starts to see all these un, un, ungodly food in, in his mind of things that he was forbidden to eat. And he hears a voice of the Lord that says, Peter, pick, up, pick it up and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. And it says, as he was saying this, he was under, under, interrupted by heaven. And God said, do not call uh, unclean what I call holy. This is, he just got a rebuke from heaven in his nap. That's hectic. That's when you're like now, in, oh, this is not a good day. So he gets up from this. He goes, I apologize. I messed up again. And Peter walks. And now he walks. Because of this dream, God says, now go to Joppa. There's a man waiting for you. So he goes all the way to Joppa, meets a man, Cornelius, and says, I've been sent here. And Cornelius is a, a Gentile. Peter's a good Jew boy. He actually shouldn't be in this area, but he's saying, a dream. I got rebuked. I'm here. What are we going to do? And Cornelius says, actually, 
we've, we need you to preach to us. We've, we've heard, we, I've had a dream about that God will send you to me. So Peter preaches a sermon. It says these, these Gentiles, the first Gentiles, the first non-Jew people get saved, find Christ because of Peter, and they get filled radically with the Holy Spirit. This is on the back of getting a rebuke from heaven. Good day, bad day, good day. I love Peter. Sounds a lot like me. And then as we go on, we find Peter. Now, hey, I'm the guy, first guy who got to the Gentiles. That's amazing. Put that on my, my Twitter bio. Preach it to the Gentiles. Boom. That's what I do, you know. No barriers too high for me. I'm Pete. But then we flick over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, written by a man named Paul, who is a relative newcomer, who actually didn't walk with Jesus in the flesh, who Peter probably thought, hey, I've got one up on this guy. But now Paul has watched Peter. They've been mates. They've seen this journey. But he started to see something creep up in Peter's heart that he doesn't like. So Paul writes a letter to the Galatian church. Chapter 2, it's there, a rebuke. He, he literally goes onto basically in our modern day context, Peter's Facebook wall and rebukes him. Bam. And says, Peter, you're a racist. Every, you say you're the man who goes to the Gentiles, but actually every time the other Jewish brothers come, you walk away from the Gentiles, you're embarrassed of them, and you go sit with the Jewish brothers and eat with them. You're racist. What's going on? This is Peter, up, down, up, down. The guy who's supposed to be called the rock is not really behaving that way. The story in Scripture comes to an end when we find his last little appearance in the book of 1 and 2 Peter. This man, Peter, the rock, ends up writing these books. And these books were written at a time many years later from later in his life. He's, that he writes them to the church that have now been scattered, the church who are running for their lives, who are hiding, the church that are now based in Rome. And the, if you've heard of Emperor Nero, who used to burn Christians for a living, for fun, who burned them alive, who used to persecute them, used to use them to light up this true story, uh, to light up his garden parties, he used to burn Christians alive. Peter writes to those Christians. One Peter, two Peter, man, and he writes, suddenly, all of a sudden, you start to see a man who God, who Jesus said on the beach, come follow me, start to emerge into all he's called to be. In this moment, he writes these, these incredible letters that put courage, put hope, put convictions into deep into the heart of people who are desperate for hope. We see this man's journey, Peter, as I mentioned, I believe it looks a lot like mine. And if I'm honest, I believe, and if we're honest, I believe it looks like a lot like our lives. Maybe not the walking on water thing. Maybe not a couple of the details, but I think if I'm honest, my life following Jesus is a lot like this. That's not a new darts move. That's something to show you what, what I meant. It's up and down. It's, it's, it's hot and I'm cold. I'm in and I'm out. I'm yes and I'm no. I'm like a Katy Perry song. It's just, if I'm honest, and I pray if you're honest, I think sometimes our heart is like that. This evening, I want to help us a little bit and say, Peter did this and walked this journey with Jesus, but somehow it seemed like in this journey of up and down, of, of, of high moments, of rebukes, of, deal, of wrestling with tough things, of dealing with sin in his life, of repenting of sin, of being restored, of getting it wrong, of getting it right, of, pu of pu pushing the gospel forward, but then seeming to retreat. In this life of Peter, I believe we, uh, as we look at the end of his life, at the book of 1 Peter, we, we get three clues of what held this man together and what held him in this journey of life of pursuing Jesus. Are you okay for that? And we're done. Three points. The scriptures behind me, 1 Peter 2 verse 45, it says this. This man, Peter, writes this, and he's writing to these guys who are under persecution. He says this. He says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests, 
through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Very quickly, three points of things that Peter was devoted to. Number one, if we go to the next slide, Peter was devoted to Christ. Let me help you understand, as I read this, he says this text, he says, you are coming to Christ. If you understand the original language, Peter's not trying to make a new theological statement. He is using the present tense, the present continuous tense, where he says, you are coming to Christ. He's writing to Christians. This is not an evangelistic letter. He's not writing to try and win them over to Christ. These are people who've given their lives to Christ already. And yet he still uses the words, you are coming to Christ. It's, it's an interesting choice of language because I think what Peter's trying to do and put it into the people's hearts, people who are in, in a situation of fear, a people who are trying to work out, is Jesus all that he says he is? Will he sustain us in trouble? Will he sustain us in trial? Will he, will he sustain us? Peter's writing there, you are coming to Christ because he's pushing something saying, this thing is not just a one-time decision you made. This is an ongoing ever walking out relationship with Jesus. Present continuous, you are coming to Christ. Let me help you understand here. When, when I got married to Fiona, we got given something called a marriage certificate. Very cool, very exciting. Changed the surname, all that stuff. And, and, it, and it was official that we got married. And we, I love that certificate. And I love, I love the fact that I've got it. My legal thing that declares that I am married to Fiona. So if anyone has any questions, I, I've got the certificate. But the truth of the matter is, you, if you came to my house and you said, and my wife wasn't there and said, hey, tell me about your wife. I am not going to go to, ooh, cabinet 3B. Where's our marriage certificate? Da, 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 da. Here it is. Look, 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 look. Legally, we married. Because this is, I'm not, marriage is not a one-time thing. Yes, the ceremony is wonderful. Yes, those moments are wonderful. But I'll prove my marriage to you by the photos of the memories, the stories, the highs, the lows, and the moments of great trips we save for, and the times we really struggled and God provided my marriage is defined by my relationship with her, not just a one-time decision. I'm going somewhere here because actually we see what happens is, I've said this last week, but I feel it's worth to say again, that we've been sucked into a low, low, low level of the gospel where we have told people, just, just stick your hand up, give your, faith, give your life to Jesus, and actually that's cool. You've ticked it off. You've done that decision. You, you can now tick a uh, Christian in the census. Well done. And we just add Jesus to our agenda. I've done the church thing. I've done the Jesus thing. Have I had my quiet time this week? And we, are, we hold Jesus as if he's just an, a, an agenda on a shopping list. When actually Francis Chan said and challenges this eye of belief and what Jesus did, Jesus said on the beach to Peter, he didn't come to Peter and say, Peter, just believe on me and I'll see you at the end. Good luck. Any, close your eyes, fishermen. Anyone want to give your lives to me? Cool, let's go. No, no, Jesus came and said, come follow me. Come follow me. And this is the understanding, as Francis Chan told this thing that helped me understand. He's, he was a preacher in America, and he came with a big, big balloon. He put it on this side of the wall. He walked to the other side of the wall as he preached. He picked up his rifle as he went, and he cocked the gun and said, actually, I'm going to shoot this balloon. And he's a well-known shot. Everyone knows that he's pretty good with the rifle in hand. So he said to him, everyone, who believes that I can hit that balloon with this rifle? And everyone's seen it on YouTube, so they put their hands up. Yep, we believe. You're good. You're going you're to take that balloon down. Then he said, who... Who is strong and I believe so much that I'm going to do that? They're, they're willing to come hold the balloon while I take the shot. The hands go down a bit. Is it? Okay, cool. The last 10 foolhardy of you. Who, will, who believes this so much they're going to come and hold it in their teeth? And all the hands went down. He goes, okay, we've got a problem. He says, because actually your belief is not really a belief until it demands something of you. A response. 
And actually, this is what we're trying to do in the series, is saying that the gospel is not something just to look at from a distance and go doctrinal points. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. That's great. No, no, no. The gospel is something to participate in. It's flesh and blood to pick up the call to come follow me and actually follow him. This is what Peter was. He was devoted to Jesus because actually for us, this is how we're going to be sustained. That actually I want to say if you are going to be sustained in the ups and downs, in the storms of life, in the rebukes, in the, in the high moments and the low moments, I want to ask you, are you devoted to Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Or is he just a nice idea? Are you a fan of Jesus from a distance? I follow him on Instagram. Bieber, Kanye, my mates, Jesus. I like that one. But flick on and move on as if he's just one of many. Just a question to push at our hearts. Secondly, Peter was not just devoted to Christ. He was devoted to community. This was part of Peter's narrative. He would mention Christ, and he always would follow it on with a run-on to community. This is how his devotion to Christ outworked. So much so that he said, you are living stones. Living stones that Christ is building together. It's, it's incredible, incredible imagery because, you know, Peter in this letter, he's writing to despondent Christians who are hiding for the, and running for their lives. And he could have used any imagery. He could have used any imagery to describe them. You are like gazelles, quick of foot and able to escape the predator. You know, that would have been really helpful in a time of, of being attacked by Roman people. Gazelles, guys, we're like gazelles, Yes. Or you guys are like eagles. You will soar above your pro- problems. You know, it's like quite a I'm like, give me a, a bit more of a cool animal or something. But Peter says, you are, let me, this is what you guys, do you want, let me tell you what you are like. You are like stones. It's not really that exciting. But what is Peter doing? He says, actually, you are like living stones being built together brick by brick. Peter, in that moment, was tearing down any romantic notion of what it is like to follow Jesus. Let me tell you, following Jesus and doing it in community is hard and it is slow. I wish that I could say right now, everybody, you want to be like Christ? Come here, I want to pray for you right now. Get the band up. Bam, bam, bam. Let the bodies hit the floor. Bam, bam, bam. Cool. Now you're all like Jesus. Go into the world. And you all walk out going, I don't lust anymore. I'm not angry anymore. I love people. Life is easy. Yay, work tomorrow. Can't wait. It's going to be incredible. I didn't get a raise. Who cares? I love you, boss. I wish I could do that for you. It would make this much easier and the sermon much shorter. But Scripture doesn't give us that narrative. Scripture, the majority of Scripture tells us, yes, Jesus encounters us. Jesus can do dramatic things. But actually, he takes us on a journey of becoming like him because he says, follow me and do it in community because I'm building you together. Michelangelo, the man who made the statue of David, the great statue of David, he, he was challenged as he made it. And as they came to him, they said to him, how did you do this incredible statue of David? How did you do it? His reply, he said, I just chipped away anything that didn't look like David. And it, it flummoxes me, but actually that's what Jesus does. Jesus is forming you into more and more of his image. And when he says, I'm building you into, a, uh, into a, a home for my dwelling, I'm building you as living stones, one brick on each other, and he's chipping away anything that does not look like his son. Now can I tell you, that is, the becoming like Jesus is not easy. It's hard and it's often slow, and it's always going to be done in community. Because here's my understanding here, is that, I honestly, I, I love new people. Can I be honest? I love new people, especially when it comes to church because new people come in and they don't know me and I don't know them. I love it because they're like, Gabe, you're such a nice guy. You're funny. 
You're self-deprecating in your humor. I like it. You're cool. You're cool. And I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> New people are awesome. But the problem is once you get to know me, you realize I'm not that awesome anymore. Because you, thank you, Travis. I appreciate that. But once you get to know me, you realize that I've got faults, that I'm actually struggling with things, that I've got anxiety, that, I, that at times I am, I'm, I'm, I'm insecure about who I am, and that plays out in different ways. In community, those things show up. But actually, when we're just always having new best friends and we're not allowing people in close into our lives, we're always just looking good, a veneer, just a new Instagram profile picture, Facebook profile picture. Look how cool my life is. But actually, our lives are like this. And we need people to walk with us, to call us out of the dips, to call us to the higher standard, to hold us to what he's got Jesus called us to. You were called the rock. I'm not going to let you sink. I'm going to call you even when you're wanting to run away. You're going to become more like him. That's why we need one another, because we are living stones being built together. This is an incredible thing. There's Rory Dyer once said this thing. He said, maturity is walking in the same direction with the same people for a long period of time. Wow. It's, it's an, a profound, profound statement. But here's the amazing thing is there's a promise from Jesus when he said, come follow me, Peter. He said, come follow me and I will make you. I love that promise of Jesus. He says, come follow me, that you in that statement is plural. Come follow me in community. And he says, I will make you. So here's the incredible thing. Sometimes there's some moments where I'll be honest. I'm going, I don't really want to open my life to people. I don't really want to be vulnerable. I just want to get into, a, into my room. I just want to watch sports and I want to zone out. But actually Jesus says, if you follow me and if you commit to community, I will make you. Yeah, but my community is not really perfect. They really, they've got really massive problems. And Jesus says, no, 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 I didn't ask you about those things. I said, if you commit to those things, I will make you. I will form you more like me. This is the confidence that Peter has, the confidence that we have in the gospel, is that if you put yourself in this environment, God will make you more like Christ. I've got two stories in our land. When I, uh, when I lived in Durban, we, were, we went, a friend of mine came and said to me, listen, we've got a whole bunch of us going up to Pretoria for the Passion Conference. This was 2006, and he said, the Louis Giglio and the Passion Conference are in Pretoria. We've got a combi, and we've got two spaces available. Would you and your mate, Rich Gordon, like to come with us? And, and, and we were like, we've got nothing on? We'd love to come, but we, we really can't afford it. He says, don't worry, a man named Rory Dyer has already paid for you guys. You guys go for free. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Rory Dyer was a well-known preacher in the, in the city. I didn't really know him personally, but he had somehow paid for myself and Richard. So we jumped in this combi, and we drove all the way up to Pretoria. Let me tell you about that combi. That combi was a profound one, because in it was a man named Richard Gordon. One of my best friends. In it was a girl named Libby Quinlan. In it was a guy named Clint Erlank and a girl named Michelle Stewart. As we went along, there was also, we stayed at, the, when we got to Pretoria, they organized accommodation with the people we'd never met before. They signed up to host us, a couple named Jeff and Jane Kirsten. Now the profound thing about that trip, we went there, it was cool. God did stuff there in that moment, but then we drove back in the combi all the way home. Here's the amazing thing about that combi. That man named Rich Gordon was one of my best men at my wedding. That, that he, that man, ended up marrying Libby Quinlan, who he met in that combi. They're now Rich and Libby Gordon. They live in Redding, California. Michelle uh, Stewart became Clint Erlang's wife. And Michelle Erlang made my wedding ring for my wife. The guy, Rory Dye, who paid for, that con for that, that, my trip, ended up being the, the wedding official at my wedding. 
the couple we stayed with in Pretoria, Jeff and Jane Kirsten, were in my house today. They were at the, our church launch two years ago. At their own cost, they came down just to be there to support us. They become some of our best friends. And the great thing of it all, the man at the beginning, a friend who came and invited me on the trip, was a man they had not yet known named Mark Van Kletsen, who years later I'd end up working with. This is the thing, in that little combi, which I didn't know what was going on, was God was putting and knitting a community together that would shape and fashion my existence. Here's the thing, I want to ask you now, who are you allowed to travel and journey with you? Who are you allowing into your space that might be tight, might be inconvenient, may not be helpful, but actually it's going to take demand much of me, but actually who are you allowing to journey with you that you don't know what God is going to do in the future? I believe God is wanting to put people in your lives now who will change how you look in the future, who will change how you walk, who will hold you when you want to fall, when you're wanting to sink, when you're saying, I'm actually done with this. He called me Satan. He called me, I, I, I'm done. But he's got friends with it. Who friends who will say, actually, I'm not going to allow you to get away with racism, so I'm going to call you out on it. Because Peter was a man committed to community. Finally, in this whole thing, is that Peter, as the scripture says, was committed to com commission. Says, finally, he says, what's more, you're a holy priest. And as you read that text, you realize that Peter, as he talks about a royal priest, a holy nation, a display of God's splendor, Peter got in his heart that actually even in, in, in persecution, these people who were, who were running for their lives, he was saying, I'm not going to let you settle for just trying to keep your head down and survive. He says, I'm going to call you. The way you're going to survive is that you're going to be reminded that even in Rome, you are called to make disciples. Even in Rome, you're called to make your life count for more. Here's the understanding here is that when we are out of community, we very quickly forget who God has called us to be. I'll be honest, I've got gospel amnesia. When I'm on my own, when I don't have brothers around me challenging me, calling me out of smallness, calling me into the more that God has, I very quickly resort to selfish, lazy Gabe Phillips, where the questions and my inner struggles are all about my own happiness. And why did that person offend me? And why did that person not phone me back? What's going on in my life? When I'm outside of community, it becomes very small, very insipid, and my future shrinks very quickly. But Peter was called on a beach way at the beginning that I believe determined his whole life, no matter ups and downs. He was told, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. From the very beginning, Jesus pointed to him a bigger story that was not about him. Jesus said, I will make you, but I'm going to make you something that's going to be a blessing for others. From the very beginning, that was in the DNA of Peter and his whole life journey, ups and downs, being formed, being fashioned by Jesus, devoted to Christ. I don't know where else I can go. You alone have the words of eternal life, up and down, holding on to community. Find Paul. I'm going to still be your mate, even though you just called me out in front of everyone. He held on to the commission that I am called to make disciples of all nations. And as he was committed to this thing, his life got bigger and bigger. And it's in this environment that I believe we have been called to be. It's in community. I land with this story. In 1930, a man named Nicholas Winton, one of my all-time heroes. Nicholas Winton was a young man who lived in, in England. It was wartime, it was World War II. And uh, the rumors of, of Adolf Hitler's uh, march across Eastern Europe reached the ears of English, the English nation. And as, as this march, as he was going across, Nicholas Winton started to hear the terrors of the Third Reich regime moving across. And they were they was sending children, mothers and, and fathers and to the Holocaust, to, to the ghettos, to, into all the, the, the atrocities of the day. And as he heard these things, he tried to shrug them off. But the more he heard them, he realized, actually, it's, it just, he kept on trying to say, this is not my problem. This is not my problem. But as it, he heard it, something got inside Nicholas Winton. So much so that he had two weeks leave. 
unbeknownst to everyone, he took two weeks leave. He got on a train and went all the way to Czechoslovakia. On those two weeks, he got there, saw the terrible atrocities and the fear in people's faces as Adolf Hitler and the Germans were getting closer and closer with, with, all, with, with terror in their eyes. Parents would, were desperate to get their children out because saying, there's no hope. There's no hope for us if we stay here. So Nicholas Winton looked around and said, I've got to do something. So what he did was he set up a little table and he said, actually, and this is all illegal. He says, I'm actually going to, I'm going to make it, I'm going to stand in the gap. You give me your children's details and I'm going to help get your children out. And in his mind, he thought maybe one or two, three or four. But because word got out, there's a man who can help our children. Families came and queued and queued and queued and gave all the details of their kids and, and, and a documentation to prove who the kids were and their names. And, and he just, in his little notebook, he meticulously took every detail, turning the page, turning the page, taking detail. And when he finished those two weeks vacation, Nicholas Winton left on a train with 600 other children with him. And they waved goodbye for the last time to their parents, weeping, weeping, who would, were about to go to the gas chambers. When he arrived back in England, he sorted out all the administration, got all these little kids put into, into foster homes, into care. It's all over the place, and he, he found homes for them. They all did that, and he closed his book, and he went on with his life. In 1980, his wife, who didn't even know any of this account, was going through goodies up in the attic. And as she was going through all the goodies, she stumbled upon this book, this little booklet, that had all these details of all these children. And as, as, he, as he, she read this, she was like, this is remarkable. She asked him, what, what, what's this all about? And he said, no. And he told her the story. And she said, this is remarkable, Nicholas. This is remarkable. This is history. So she took it to the BBC. This is where you can pick it up on YouTube. In 1980, they had a, they had a show where they got Nicholas Winton at the front with his wife and a studio audience. And, and they told the grand story of what Nicholas had done in the 1930s. And Nicholas Bashful just said, no, oh, just shrugged his shoulders. Until the moment came where the lady said, and Nicholas, just to let you know, the lady on your right is one of the children that you saved 40 years ago. So the woman turned to Nicholas, tears running down her face, saying, thank you, thank you. Nicholas, horn room glasses, just looking. Couldn't believe what we were seeing. Then the woman went on and said, is anyone else here in the studio audience who owes their life to Nicholas? And the rest of the studio audience stood, because every one of them had been one of the children that he had saved years, years, years before. He just stood and he just wept and wept and wept. Two years ago, Nicholas Winton died at the age of 104. From that moment, he, was he, had, he had been called Sir Nicholas Winton. As he had been knighted, he had become the patron saint of children in Czechoslovakia. There are statues of him to this day. And when they, when they confronted him just before his death, they said to him, Nicholas, tell us about those two weeks in Czechoslovakia in the 30s where you came home with 600 children. And he said, you know what? I've done the math, and I've been told that actually those kids have had kids, and those kids have had kids. So it's more like 15,000 children. The power, when I, when I heard that story, the, the call of the gospel rang in my heart that actually my life is, exists for something bigger. And I want to tell you in this moment, and I want to land this evening by calling us to a devotion to Christ, a devotion to community, and devotion to the commission that God has given us to live our lives for bigger than just ourselves, to live our lives for our brothers on our left and our right, to live our lives for those who are not like us, those who are not easy to walk with, but actually going to live our lives beyond ourselves because actually when we do this, we're becoming more like Jesus. Because this is how Jesus makes us more like him. He says, come follow me, devote yourself to me, and I will make you, I'll form you, I'll fashion you, to fishes of men, a life that's bigger than you could ever imagine. And all of that revolves around the one word that pops up in the middle of that phrase, which says, you, which is plural, which is community. Follow Christ in community.
we formed in community, and we become more and more like Him in community. This is the heart of the series, and I pray that you would pick up this call to devote yourself. Let's pray.